Hi, friends. It's Vin Scully. It's time for Dr. Clapper. In sports, there's winning and losing and getting injured. That's why there's Dr. Clapper. Dr. Clapper is the former head of orthopedic surgery at Cedar sinai The Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper, presented by Cedar sinai Hey, Dr. Clapper. How are you? Saturday mornings from 7 to 9. Silence is golden when you can't think of a good answer. <laughs> yes, Doc, I love your show. Now, here he is, Dr. Robert Clapper. Good morning, Los Angeles, and welcome to another edition of the Weekend Warrior Show. I'm your host, Dr. Robert Clapper. I'm an orthopedic surgeon at Cedars-Sinai. 32 years. What a beautiful week I had in the operating room this week. Did 13 big surgeries. Five of them yesterday. Awesome. So many hips. Knees, shoulders. So 100 patients this week, like I do every week. And I'll share some of those experiences. Did surgery yesterday on a woman with uh, rheumatoid arthritis. Where the body, your body, decides one day that the cartilage is like a wooden splinter in your finger, which you reject because it's foreign. That's what autoimmune means. The body one day wakes up and says, okay, that's somebody, That's a wooden splinter. That's not my own cartilage in my knee or hip or shoulder and tries to reject it, rejecting its own body parts. The inflammation, the disability is massive. And yeah, there's better drugs now than what we had in the past, but it still destroys the joints. And some of the most grateful patients that I've taken care of over the years have been people with rheumatoid arthritis. But I'll get into more of that a little later in the show. The clinic will be open. The number will be 877-710-ESPN. But I'm so excited for today's show because my guest is my favorite band coming out of L.A. of all time. It's Ayaterra. I've adopted this group 11 years ago when this show started. And now they're big time. They're actually doing me a favor coming on before I was doing them a favor. It is such a beautiful thing. And I cannot wait to talk to them. I know very well Nick Laportio. And I know Nathan Feinstein, the other members I've gotten to know over the years. But those two, the collaboration of those two UCLA students, that's when it started. They met is a beautiful collaboration just to whet your appetite. This is a song that they collaborate on. You'll hear Nathan singing. This is the group Ayaterra. Well, if you're lost and alone, don't worry, because you're already home. And I know it's a long, long road, but we're ready to go. Found beauty in the balance in between all the highs and lows. So as long as I can sing my song, then I'm ready to go. Mm-mm-mm. Just beautiful. Making the world a better place. That's what they do. And they work hard. But they collaborate. 
and it made me think all week how excited I was to talk to them yet again at a different point in their life. Now more success coming their way. I almost feel like it's my job, our job, to sustain it and help them sustain it, to nurture them. But in the end, they have to nurture themselves. So I thought all week, collaboration. Yes, I was going to do Shaq and Kobe. And they did collaborate and gave us three rings together. But then it fell apart. So maybe they're not a great example in sports of collaboration. Who better? And I thought, who stayed together? They didn't even win a ring together, both in the Hall of Fame, but they did play on the Dream Team together. A collaboration that was fantastic for the entirety of their careers. Yep, John Stockton and Carl Malone both played on the Dream Team. You got to hear each of them talk about that collaboration. And then you need to hear about Christian Leitner, who got to play with the two of them and became super friendly with them in Barcelona in 1992 until the Olympics were over. And then Christian Leitner had to play against them in Utah. And you'll hear him say, oh my God, they didn't even want to talk to me. They were one. When one plus one equals seven, beautiful collaboration occurs. And what about in music or art? Where do I see the collaboration in my lifetime? John Lennon, Paul McCartney. Two different guys. One a happy-go-lucky guy, Paul McCartney. Wrote beautiful lyrics, upbeat. And then you had John Lennon. Here's an example of what happens when the yin and the yang take place. Where you hear Paul McCartney write the lyric, it's getting better all the time. And then you hear John Lennon saying, yeah, can't get much worse. The beauty of that collaboration was how different they were, but together, one plus one equals seven. I admit it's getting better, a little better all the time. Yes, I admit it's getting better. That's right, from Sergeant Pepper, 1969, 67, I forgot which the exact date. There's a collaboration that touched us all in art music. Why did it work? How did it work? You're going to hear from the man himself, Paul McCartney. And I'm going to read a couple of paragraphs from a book about how different these two guys were. And certainly in my world of surgery, collaboration, what brought me to Cedar sinai remember, I'm a New York guy. I'm from Far Rockaway. Went to Columbia. What am I doing here other than the fact that I love to surf? What is it about Cedars in Los Angeles that drew me here? It was a collaboration in medicine, and not in orthopedics, believe it or not, but in cardiology, because Cedars-Sinai did something that blew everyone in the world of medicine away, a collaboration of Willie Gans and Jeremy Swan, two cardiologists, Jeremy Swan, a heart specialist, at the beach, just like I love to go, watching sailboats and realized when the wind was not present, those sailboats stuck in the Newport Harbor didn't move. But there's another kind of sail you can put on a boat called a spinnaker. Look it up. A spinnaker is a sail that balloons out from the front of the boat. 
And when everybody else has got no wind, the spinnaker can still get that boat moving. And that's when he dreamed up the idea of inflating a balloon on a catheter. And the two of them collaborated and created one of the greatest inventions ever in the world of medicine called the Swan-Gans catheter based on a balloon that could float into your heart just like that spinnaker on a sail. Collaboration is awesome in art, in sports, and in surgery. And in food, I thought about this. Where do you see the word combo or collaboration? I'll tell you where you combine a cheeseburger and a hot dog. Nobody else does this here in Los Angeles. And they've been around for 50 years. It's, you got to drive there. You got to go there so you can taste what collaboration is in your mouth as a food. And I'll tell you where that is a little later in the show. But let's get into it. I want you to hear John Stockton talking about his journey, the dream team, and what it's like to play with the Hall of Famer, Carl Malone. We were still trying to climb the ladder. We were we were a team that was threatening, but but weren't really a team. I thought that most people called contenders, and uh, that takes a while. That takes a lot of a lot of uh, pieces to the puzzle. But we were getting there. We were, we were starting to get there, and, and largely because we rode Carl Malone as much as we could. That that guy was was such a talent and such a great team player and a leader, but with his work ethic. So uh, we were getting there. But uh, in most senses, we were a lot ways looking up to guys still. John Stockton, the point guard, Carl Malone, the power forward. Hear Carl Malone talk about their relationship, the collaboration of two players who realized that together they could do more than single-handedly. We trained like we trained in the offseason because we know the other one was training. So we always had this little thing going while we trained all the time. And uh, he was the kind of guy that, if he thought that somebody was out working him, he would go work out harder. So, and like I said, we uh, we became without talking very close, playing and everything. When we were on the court, we didn't talk a lot. We just played and played off each other. That's what happens in the operating room. Gene Crawford and Carlos Barrera. I got a mask on. I'm not talking. He's looking at these guys. Look at my eyebrows. And can tell how to move the legs so I can go deeper in the socket of your hip. Nonverbal communication. That's what collaboration can become. He played one year before I played, before I got drafted by the Jazz. So it's like we played our whole career together. So to have him, and he was right next door to us. So it was great. It was awesome because it was like, you know, we just spend all season with each other. And now we're going to spend the summer with each other. So it, it's not like we needed. We learned more about each other because we already knew more about each other. It was just one of those things that was. That was awesome for us. Here's John Stockton talking about getting the phone call. You're going to be on the Dream Team because you, as a collaborator with Carmelone, the both of you are coming to Barcelona. He couldn't believe it. Probably the first memory is the phone call. Uh, the surprise I had, I, I thought it was a crank call. And uh, the fact that I got asked to be on that team, I think that was one of the biggest honors I ever received. Uh, and, and it took me back for a while. I, I, Wanted to make sure it wasn't a joke. <laughs> I checked with people with the team. I think that took them back when I when I told Rod Thorne. I said, "Well, I'd like to do that, sure, but I, 
I need to check with my team and my family to make sure that they're all willing to commit to it as well. And um, that also helped me make sure it wasn't a joke. That was quite a day. That's how good he was, how humble he was. Because it wasn't just about him, it's what he could do to other players. I was in heaven from the moment I stepped on the floor with those guys. Uh, didn't need to run a play. If a guy cut, the corresponding cut that goes with it, everybody read in an instant. Um, everyone could catch, everyone could finish once they, it was like playing with, with 11 other Carl Malones. And uh, what an experience. Greatest basketball experience just in, 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 a, in a quiet gym that I ever had. That's, uh, I, I don't think it can ever be equal. Because of his ability to be a collaborator, to set his ego aside. You've got shooters, you've got drivers. Uh, they understood the angles as well as I did. Um, some of them probably better. The, the angles and, and places you could put a ball and have them be able to catch him and finish it was, uh, was unique. Uh, I, I don't know how you even describe, you get to play with Clyde Drexler, you get to play with Chris Mullen, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, David Robinson, Patrick Ewing. I mean, that, the, the name Scotty Michael. The names just kind of keep rolling off the tongue, and, and, and it isn't the names that made them great. It's, it's what they were able to do out here, and, and the fact that they could all gel without uh, ego conflicts um, or game conflicts. Everybody just fit. He may be naming their names, but listen to a teammate from Barcelona on that team, David Robinson, who played for the Spurs, the Admiral. He never played with John Stockton as a teammate before. He knew what Tim Duncan was like as a collaborator, but he didn't have a point guard like John Stockton. It takes both in the collaboration. One plus one to equal seven. You know, I told him from the beginning, I said, John, if, if there were a point guard I ever wanted to play with, that would have been, it, you know, you and I would have been perfect together. And, you know, he was, you know, he just had the right, you know, like Tim Duncan was a perfect fit for me and for our team. And, and I think John is another one of those guys that just our, our chemistry would have been, you know, very, very strong. But it's a business. It ultimately has to be taken seriously, whether you're writing songs in the operating room, making a balloon on a catheter. I don't care what it is. got to take it seriously. So Christian Leitner is appreciating this collaboration with John Stockton and witnessing how he and Carl Malone worked together, but how John Stockton worked with everybody, including Christian Leitner, until he has to play them after the Olympics. Listen to Christian Leitner talking about how beautiful it is to see collaboration, and then the switch gets turned off. Man, it really changed. I'll never forget the first time I went to play against Stockton and Malone because they were so cool and like family oriented and like really everyday normal guy with me on the Olympic team. Then when, when I went to Utah to play against them, boy, they were all business <laughs> and uh, they didn't care that we were friendly, you know, a few months back. I never realized how much it was all business. You know, that was like my third, you know, like maybe two months into my rookie year, we go up to Utah and I didn't realize how business they were. Um, until I went there and, you know, Stockton wouldn't even look at me really. And Malone would look at me because we were the same position, but Stockton was like, uh-uh, you know, I'm here to <laughs> kick your team's butt and it doesn't matter that we were, that I was really cool to you during the Olympics. And uh, so that taught me a big lesson, you know, that 
you can be friends and cordial off the court and before the game and after the game, but once he stepped on the court, he wouldn't even look at me. But after the game, he was great. Because collaboration is a switch. You turn it on and you turn it off, and the chemistry has to be there. Where in the world of art in my lifetime did I see the greatest collaboration? It was the Beatles, the early Beatles. Not the Beatles and get back where they break up. I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in the early days. I'm going to read you from a book about the Beatles that it just occurred to me, just from prepping for this show. What an unbelievably terrible childhood John Lennon had. And it made him ornery and nasty, acerbic, with the sweetheart of Paul McCartney. But that's why that collaboration made the greatest songs of all time. We'll get into it. The Beatles, Paul McCartney, John Lennon, the collaboration. Coming up next on the Weekend Warriors show here on 710 ESPN. Holy emoji, clap man. Weekend Warriors on Facebook. Holy slip disc. That's right, Robin. Hear listeners talk about their aches and pains. Holy hamstrings. Along with Doc's clapper vision. Breathe deeply. And advice to callers. On your toes, Robin. So like, follow, and enjoy. A wise decision. The Weekend Warrior Facebook page. Frankly, I can think of nothing more stimulating. Going on, it's Max. You know there's no better way to start your Saturday morning. Then with my friend, Dr. Clapper, and the Weekend Warrior Show. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. All right. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. I'm Big Clap. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. Good job, Zach and Will. That's a great Beatles song, because I want to talk about the Beatles particularly John Lennon and Paul McCartney, the collaboration. That's what today's topic is all about in art, in sports, in surgery, because at 8.15 we're going to talk to my favorite band, Ayaterra, and understand what it's like in the trenches to collaborate on a song. I want to read you from a book about the Beatles written by Craig Brown. Listen to this, two paragraphs. Paul once tried to explain how the two of them had become what they were. Quote, John, because of his upbringing and his unstable family life, had to be hard, witty, always ready for the cover-up, ready for the repost, ready with the sharp little witticism. Whereas with my rather comfortable upbringing, a lot of family, a lot of people, very northern, cup of tea, love, my surface grew to be easygoing. Put people at their ease. Chat to people. Be nice. It's nice to be nice. Mentally, no one could say much to hurt me. Whereas with John, his dad wasn't home. He grew up without a dad. And so it was, where's your dad, you bastard? And his mother lived with somebody and was called, in those days, living in sin. So there was another cheap shot against him. John had a lot to guard against. And it formed his personality. He was a very guarded person. He was a bitter person, basically. He had massive hang-ups from his upbringing. The peculiar power of the Beatles' music, its magic and its beauty, lies in the intermingling of these opposites, 
Other groups were raucous or reflective, progressive or traditional, solemn or upbeat, folksy or sexy or aggressive. But when you hear a Beatles album, you feel that all human life is there. As John saw it when they were composing together, Paul provided a lightness and optimism, while I would always go for the sadness, the discords, a certain bluesy edge. It was this finely balanced push-me-pull-you tension that made their greatest music so expressive, capable of being both universal and particularly at one and at the same time. Ying and yang, that's what made it so special. I never realized that. So let's listen to Paul McCartney talking about the beginning of what it was like to sit down. They each had a guitar. They sat on two separate beds facing each other, playing off each other. But because they came from two different families, John from a home where there was... His mother was off with someone else, and his dad was a merchant marine, didn't come back till the mom finally said, I'm done with you. He was raised by his aunt and then witnessed his mom getting run over by a car while visiting him one day. This poor guy. But that's why the Beatles became the Beatles. The collaboration was yin and yang. Here's Paul McCartney. I would say to people that, out of, I think it's about 300 songs that John and I wrote together, we never had a dry session. We'd always come in and we never went away from the session going, ah, couldn't get it today. We always finished a song, which is pretty remarkable. That collaboration, that Stockton and Malone talking about he knew the angles. In basketball, Carl Malone could figure out the angles coming off the backboard John Stockton knew the angles of how to get the ball to him. Same thing when you're sitting down to write a song. When John and I, John Lennon and I were getting together, we were kind of showing each other what we'd written and, and this was one I, I said to him, well, I got this idea and I started off with it and uh, we finished it together. So it was a very early Lennon McCartney song. Having a collaborator, one thing's great, if you get stuck, with, th with something, you can just say, what do you think of this, you know, and you can kick it around together. Mm -hmm. My song started, um, she was just 17. She'd never been a beauty queen. And we kind of looked at each other <laughs> like, I said, I don't really like that line. <laughs> so we changed it to, she's just 17, you know what I mean, which makes more sense even though you probably don't know what I mean. So we changed it to that, and they, that uh, started our songwriting partnership. Even though you don't know what I mean. I love that. Most of it was start from scratch, but sometimes one of us would just have an idea, like of the first couple of lines, and then we'd just sit down and work it. But a lot of it, we just came in and just started talking about what we might want to write about, and, and then we'd just sit down. It was pretty quick sessions. It's normally like about three hours, and we'd finish something, um, you know, from beginning to end with the chords and the melody and the words. Here's a beautiful example. Here's the song he's talking about, Eleanor Rigby. Eleanor Rigby picks up the rice in the church where a wedding has been. Lives in a dream 
waits at the window, wearing the face that she keeps in a jar by the door. Who is it for all the lonely people? Where do they all come from? All the lonely people, where do they all belong? So Father Mackenzie, where did Father Mackenzie come from? Because it was actually originally Father McCartney. But it was thanks to the collaboration that the lyric got changed to make it a better song. Listen to Paul McCartney talking about where Father Mackenzie came from as a lyric. Father Mackenzie, in the song, I originally had Father McCartney, but when I came to finish it up with John, I brought it to John, and we were playing it around, and I said, uh, I, don't want to, I don't want to call this Father McCartney because it's like my dad. It just is a bit confusing. And he said, no, it's fine. So I said, no, I don't like it. So I said, okay, let's change it. So we got the phone book, and we just went right down to sort of McCartney, 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 and looked for something, something. And the next one was like Mackenzie. I said, that's better. That is exactly right. Day in the Life was um, a song that John had started, and uh, he kind of had the first verse. And this often happened. One of us would have a little bit of an idea, and instead of sitting down and sweating it, we'd just bring it to the other one and kind of finish it together. Because you could ping pong. You know, you get an idea, then he'd get an idea, and oh, that's good. You know. And uh, so I say he had the first verse. I read the news today, oh boy. And we sat in my music room in London and just started playing around with it, got a second verse. And then we got to the, what was going to lead into the middle. And we kind of looked at each other and kind of knew we were being a little bit kind of edgy. And we sort of said, I'd love to. Turn you on. So we kind of knew, like, this would have an effect. And it did. It worked. And then we put another section I had. Woke up, fell out of bed, tried to come home across my head. So I had that section, so we put that in. And then finished the song up. And then did a big sort of epic recording of it. With a big full orchestra and everything, you know. And then did that crescendo thing in the middle of it with the orchestra, which was an idea I'd had because I'd been, I'd been talking to people and reading about sort of avant-garde music, kind of atonal stuff, crazy ideas. The collaboration was magical between Paul McCartney and John Lennon. But as the ideas would flow, he doesn't necessarily have that ability to collaborate with other musicians, even in his own band probably why it all broke up. So having the producer, George Martin, go between in a collaboration. So listen to Paul McCartney saying, yeah, I had this other idea. We had a whole orchestra, all these musicians. But he couldn't quite get them to do what he wanted to do to collaborate. And that's the brilliance of George Martin, who almost could translate to allow the collaboration with the symphony orchestra to occur in this song. Listen to Paul McCartney. And I came up with this idea, I said to the orchestra, you should start 
all of you, of which they're all looking at me puzzled. We've got a real symphony orchestra in London who are used to playing, you know, Beethoven. And here's me, so this crazy guy out of a group. And I'm saying, what you've got to do is you, or everyone, start on the lowest <laughs> note that your instrument can play and work your way up to the highest at your own pace. Can you imagine? Just if you want to go, that's fine. Or that was too puzzling for them. <laughs> and they're all looking at me, and orchestras don't like that kind of thing. They like it written down, and they like to know exactly what they're supposed to do. So George Martin, the producer, realized that. He kept the random aspect, but he said to the people, you should be about this note at this point in the song, and then you should have got to this note and this note. And he left the random thing. So that's why it sounds like a chaotic, chaotic sort of swirl, you know. So collaboration doesn't necessarily work because you just sit down with another person. There needs to be a chemistry. And it goes beyond verbal communication, just like Carl Malone described it in his playing with John Stockton. Paul McCartney, John Lennon could communicate non-verbally, each bringing the yin versus the yang, the high, upbeat attitude of Paul McCartney to the sadness and the blues of John Lennon. What about in the world of medicine, the world of surgery? I got to collaborate as a surgeon with you, the patient. And this week, I saw a patient with a rotator cuff tear. MRI said it was torn. I took him to surgery to put stitches in that rotator cuff. And guess what I found when I took them to surgery? Because I didn't have to put stitches in that rotator cuff. I'll explain coming up. The clinic will be open. The number is 877-710-ESPN. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warriors show here on 710 ESPN. Weekend Warriors on Facebook. Didn't you get the memo? Quickly hear Clapper's crazy kitchen stories. Easily find different callers, aches and pain issues. Right, I get it. Search Weekend Warrior in the search bar and click on Doc's picture. Who are you again? Voila! Like, follow, and enjoy the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. This is Keyshawn in the morning. My man, Dr. Clapper, and the Weekend Warrior Show starts your Saturday morning. Join the Doc from 7 to 9 a.m. But don't miss my show, Monday morning on 710 ESPN. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. The best entertainer. Forget going to the movies. Start your weekend off right. Listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. So the Clapper was looking at the flapper. Can you imagine how cool that was? Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN. 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. That's Ayaterra, my guest at 815. We're going to talk to them about collaboration which is what inspired today's show in sports, in art, and in my world of surgery. As a surgeon, I got to collaborate with you, the patient. You come and tell me your shoulder hurts, keeps you up at night. When you reach for certain things, it's painful, it stabs you. It radiates down your arm. Here's the key question. Does the pain go below your elbow, into your forearm, into your hand? Because all shoulder pain doesn't come from the shoulder. You have a pinched nerve in your neck, you can get shoulder pain. But guess what? 
it will radiate. That pain will travel into your forearm, into your wrist, into your hand. But if the pain is really coming from trouble inside the shoulder, you'll take your hand and show me and say, hey, it's right here. And you'll grab the top of your shoulder. And then patients will always say, and it goes into the mid portion of my arm. And then I'll ask them, does it go below your elbow into your forearm? No. It goes into the mid portion of my arm, but doesn't go below my elbow. And I'll go, aha, that's a bursitis. That's a tendonitis. That's your rotator cuff. They'll go, really? It's in the mid portion of my arm. It's not in my shoulder. Yes, but it radiates. A brilliant shoulder surgeon that I had the privilege of actually spending some time in the operating room when I was in medical school. So this is 45 years ago. Many people consider him the father of shoulder surgery. His name was Neer, N-E-E-R, Charles Neer. And he came up with a brilliant idea of how the shoulder works and how it deteriorates. Incidentally, he was the first man to invent the first titanium shoulder replacement. We don't use anything at all that looks like what he came up with 50 years ago. We keep modifying it. It's the iPhone 12, not a rotary phone. But he was the first to really attack these problems. And it was Charles Neer who came up with the idea that before the rotator cuff tears in your 50s, 60s, and for many of you in your 30s and 40s, as it degenerates and deteriorates, that the undersurface of the bone in your shoulder, better known as the acromion, develops a spur. People ask me all the time, what's a spur? Like best clapper vision for a bone spur, literally what they look like is when you light a candle, it's Hanukkah, so we're lighting candles now, and you let that flame touch the wax as the wick burns. What do you see? The wax heats up. It starts to drip and changes shape and becomes a dripping of the wax versus that beautiful shaft of the candle. That bulbous round bulge that is the the wax dripping literally is what a bone spur looks like whether I'm operating on your knee your shoulder your hip your ankle God knows where I'm operating on you in your joints a bone spur looks like that candle wax dripping but they don't always stay rounded they can sometimes be quite pointy and sharp and when they are they can behave like a knife, like an ice pick, stabbing the tendon and muscle that's trying to move inside that joint and rip it up. Charles Neer described the stages that the tendon goes through. And there's really three. Phase one, stage one, is where the sharp bone spur in your shoulder just scratches the surface of the tendon. Just like getting poked in the eye. Your eye gets red and swollen from the trauma. That's what happens inside your shoulder. 
We call it bursitis, itis for inflammation. The lubricating portion is called the bursa. You get bursitis because you got a bone spur irritating the tendon. That's the first stage. The second stage is the spur digs a little bit deeper and cuts into the tendon. We call that a partial thickness tear of the tendon. And the third stage is you actually puncture a hole all the way through. That's a full thickness tear. Those need stitches. But this is why I hate cortisone shots. Because you can make it numb. You can mask that problem. Make the patient feel better. Give me a shot. Make my shoulder feel better. Sure. But you're not getting rid of the spur or the degeneration in the tendon. And that's why I object so strongly to those shots. I'm not interested in masking the pain, making a bigger problem later. And that's what happened this week. I took a patient to surgery. MRI said his rotator cuff was torn. You could see the fluid inside the tendon. I could still see the spur. And I told him, because I collaborated with my patient, which is such a beautiful relationship. I trust you, Dr. Clapper. Whatever you find, whatever you need to do, do. And I took him to surgery after going to physical therapy and giving it a chance to heal on its own, fully expecting to put stitches in suture anchors and fix his torn rotator cuff. And guess what I found? I found the spur. I found the bursitis. But he had gone on miraculously to heal the rotator cuff. And I did not need to put stitches in. He didn't need to go in a brace afterwards. He can go into a sling for comfort and move his arm right away. It was awesome. Couldn't wait to go to the recovery room before I started my next surgery to go look for him. He was awake. Oh, hi, Dr. Clapper. I must have had the biggest smile on my face, except he couldn't see it because I had a mask on. I said, guess what? What, Dr. Clapper? I didn't have to put stitches in. <laughs> you went on and healed the tendon. I just cleaned up the spur. The guy almost started to cry. It was awesome. To collaborate in medicine, me and the patient, is a beautiful thing. It's beautiful in art, in music. It's beautiful in sports. Coming up next, the clinic will be open. I'll take your calls. The number is 877-710-ESPN. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warrior Show here on 710 ESPN. Check out the Weekend Warrior Facebook, Know Your Knee Post. One of the most complicated areas of the body, ACL, PCL, MCL, patella supplication. Really? Dr. Clapper translates the language of your knee Dr. Clapper. on the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. Whoa. Simply type in Weekend Warrior in the search bar and click on Doc's picture. Wow, your knee feels better already. Damn right. Like, follow, and feel better Hello there. with the Weekend Warrior Facebook page.
Hey, it's Mace. You know, there is no better way to start your Saturday than with Dr. Clapper and the Weekend Warrior Show, 7 to 9 a.m. Saturday mornings. And don't miss Mason in Ireland back Monday at 1 on 710 ESPN. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. My mother is quelling in heaven right now when you say that. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper, <laughs> Renaissance man, surfing sculptor, smoother. <laughs> Gee, Lord have mercy. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. So excited to be here with you. The lines are lit up. Who are we going to go to first here? All right, let's go to Mitch in New Jersey. Mitch, you're on with Dr. Clapper. How can I help? Hi, Dr. Clapper. Happy holiday. You too, Mitch. Merry What's Christmas, up? You know, Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Thank yeah, you. I'm doing some leaves. I, I know you haven't done leaves in decades. You should just have, I guess you just got pine and... Uh, <laughs> The leaves of no, chair. Where are you calling from, Mitch? I'm calling from uh, New Jersey, but I'm, I'm originally from Staten Island. Oh, my God. I'm, I'm glad to talk to you. So you, you take my call. Uh, I love that. It's my pleasure. Yeah, I love your shows. Thanks, Thanks for listening all the way in New Jersey. So the leaves are changing yeah. in New Jersey? Yeah, the full one. I paid somebody. It probably cost me 350 for front and back. And now I got more leaves. I guess the wind blows from my neighbors. <laughs> I'm windy now, so I can't. I have to do it now. So, because it was windy, I let the leaves blow to my neighbors. You know what? What, what are neighbors for? Mitch, what yeah. do you do for a living? Oh, FedEx. You remember? Uh, Thirty-three years. Thirty-three. Uh, the nineteenth. Are you still working yeah. for FedEx? Yeah, two, I got two more years. Maybe, maybe twenty-six months. Exactly uh, sixty-two. But um, no, I got my right hip done last February. Okay. Noble store. Okay. Um. I should have stayed another two months, but I, they would have taken more vacation time, and I was worried about not getting this this uh, station in my house close to home. Mm-hmm. And now it's gotten better the last three months. But about three weeks ago, I noticed my left hip was a little. Uh, I'm feeling a little bit. I think from experience, I think it's just. I don't know. I don't know if it's a sign that my left hip is going to be going within. And I know I should do it. If I have to do, it, I should do it while I'm working. I would save myself some money, and I could be, then I would take five months and then come back and retire. Only you can um, answer that question, Mitch. Nobody else is allowed. Told- There's no – I want you to know one thing. This will be a nice uh, lesson to the people listening. Certain operations, it actually makes a difference in terms of timing. When I, when I see people, for example, who have a bad shoulder, and I look at their rotator cuff, there's a clock ticking. If you don't let me take care of it while it's a small tear – Come back a year or two later. Now it's a bigger tear. It's a bigger hole in the tendon, more stitches, bigger recovery. It makes a difference. But in terms of whether to replace or when to replace the cartilage in your knee, your hip, your shoulder, there's no clock. I'm just telling you, you don't make the surgeon's job harder by waiting or the job of the patient. Talk about collaboration. You don't make their life harder by waiting when you're talking about an implant. So you got all the time in the world to think about when you want to do your other hip. There's no urgency. Now, if you want to do it while you're working for financial reasons, that's a whole nother story. But you need to know one thing. Medically, whether you do it now or you do it later really does not make a difference. So please don't worry about that. Stay strong, walk in the pool, do all the exercises that you need to do. Read the books Linda, you and I wrote, Heal Your Hips. That will help you do the exercises. And happy holidays to you, Mitch, all the way from New Jersey. Can I say one more thing? Yep. Can I say one more thing? He told me it was two centimeters, my my left hip, and that was about 
when he discovered what was wrong with my right hand was bone on bone. Mm-hmm. Two centimeters. Is that like a is there a deterioration way, or it depends on what kind of work you do? That's what I'm talking about. If it's bone on bone, then I have no choice. But it's two centimeters. He said it was halfway done, halfway. I don't know what he's talking about. You're going to do it when you can't sleep through the night. You're going to do it when you know, now that you know what it's like not to have pain, you don't necessarily have to be as bad as you was the first time. You get to do it a little sooner if you want. It's totally elective. It ain't up to the surgeon. It's up to you, Mitch. Okay? Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, doctor. Have a good weekend. You too, young man. Thanks for calling all the way from New Jersey. All right, Warriors, we'll take a break. Coming up next, I need to tell you what I saw. It's called a loose body, and it's it's almost like leaving a spoon in the disposal, rattling around, and it destroyed this one man's knee joint. I saw these loose bodies because I took him to surgery this week to do a knee replacement. If you've got loose bodies, and I'll explain what they are, coming up next, the number is 877-710-ESPN. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warrior Show. 